Please open your Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 5. And again, welcome to all our guests here in the building and in the radio audience and uh, all those who join us by means of internet. You've all heard this story, but let me tell you again. I love to ramble. And my family about two years ago, three years ago, gave me a GPS and it came in real handy. I took it to Tennessee. I took it to Florida. I took it to Georgia. I took it to Northern Virginia. And then about a year later, I took it out of the box. And, uh, and the reason I did that is because I, I, I said I, I'm intimidated. It has a manual about that thick. And I just know I'm not very good at electronics. I couldn't do anything with that. And so, uh, but at any, any rate, uh, uh, somebody told me, explained to me that it is uh, it's very simple. And you don't have to read all that book. If you plug it in, there's a little woman in there. And she'll tell you everything to do. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> it, but it does work. Amen. I, and I, I appreciate it. I thank the Lord. But uh, before we ever had GPS, men are not famous for asking instructions. You know, we're a little bit like David Crockett. Somebody asked David Crockett one time and all of his rambling around and everything, had he ever been lost? He said, no, sir, never been lost. He said, but one time I was seriously confused for three days and... Uh, <laughs> But uh, I, we never ask instruction. But I'm reminded of the story of the fellows who came through the mountains of North Carolina and uh, got kind of lost and were trying to get to a certain place. And they stopped and asked a little boy up there in the mountains with his overalls on and barefooted, a bean showed in his back pocket, said, son, where is such and such a place? And he said, I don't know. And they said, well, how would we get over to this such and such a road? He said, I don't know. And he, they said, well, can you tell us this road? Where does this road go? And he said, I don't know. And one of them kind of smart adequately said, well, boy, I don't guess you know anything, do you? And he said, I know I ain't lost. <laughs> if you could say that this morning from a spiritual standpoint, would you say amen? amen? I'm glad that the Bible doesn't have a hope so, but a no so salvation. Look in your Bible, 1 John chapter number 5, and I want to call your attention to verse number 10. And it says this, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath, not, uh, hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life, and he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that he may that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the son of God. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to understand that, do you? It's quite simple. If you want to go to heaven, just as Brother Joe Barry sang about, the story of our life is this book. It's in this Bible. And it says, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Well, how did you get the Son? He said, by believing, if you believe, he that believeth on the Son of God. And it's all by believing. It's not very difficult. It's a simple plan of salvation. He made it that way. 
so that every man and woman, boy and girl, could be saved. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. If he had made salvation possible by works, many of us could not have done it. We could not have done it because of our, our lack of ability, our lack of skill, maybe because of some type of physical problem. Uh, we couldn't do so many things, couldn't do this, that, and the other. And so we couldn't, we couldn't get saved. We couldn't go to heaven if it was dependent upon our works. And so God, in his omniscience, in his all-knowing, wanted men and women, boys and girls, to be saved. And it was motivated by our need, but by his love. For God so loved the world. The reason you can go to heaven is because he loved us. The reason we can be saved is because he loved us. I want you to know there is a creator. There is a creator. Now, a few days ago, I'm not being political, but a few days ago, our, our president was quoting about our inalienable rights, and he happened to leave out the part that we endowed by those, by our creator. But God is our creator. And he did make us beings, human beings. We are unique. We're unique from any creature on this earth. He fashioned man out of the dust of the earth, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. He wanted a fellowship with man. And so you find in the book of Genesis that he walked and talked with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. He created us for his, for his own fellowship. The Bible said we're created for his pleasure. He wants us to be part of him, wants us to fellowship with him. But sin wrecked all of that. Sin separated us from God. Sin's what caused Adam to run and hide. Sin's what caused Adam to try to cover his, his body with, with leaves and run at the voice of God, be fearful at the voice of God instead of fellowshipping with him. But God came to where he was and God made provision. And he's not willing to need any repairs. He wants us to fellowship with him. And so he gave his dear son. He wants it to be crystal clear that you can live forever. Every person, the sound of my voice is a created being. You're not like other created animals. You're not like the birds or the fowls or the air. You have inside of you a spirit that will live forever in heaven or hell. And God wants you to live with him in a place called heaven. The he heaven is prepared for the saints of God, for those who know the Lord. When I use that word saint, some people think about somebody, you know, if in a monastery somewhere. That's not it at all. Saint simply means set apart of somebody who's been set apart. It has to do with those who are saved by the grace of God. Paul writes to the saints of God that are at Ephesus. That's the Christians who are at Ephesus. He's referring to those who've been born again, who've been caught, who've been saved, and who've been taken out of the world. That is become part of his his kingdom, not of this world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven because we've been saved. And he wants you to be saved. He wants you to know that. And so consequently, he did not make it very complicated. He didn't give you a manual this thick to know how to be saved. There's simplicity to the gospel. Paul talked about the simplicity of the gospel. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to know how to get there. He wants you to know how to go to heaven. And so he gave it to us in this book. He made it to where it's not your effort or your work, hard uh, work or your determination, but it's his marvelous grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not says it's a gift of God. Now in this passage of scripture, he said this, these things have I written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. It is a no-so salvation. I run into a lot of people from time to time that say to me, I, I say, are you a Christian? Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Well, there is a good biblical word for hope in the Bible, but it's not in regard to salvation. It's return to the, in regard to the return of the Lord, the blessed hope. 
But it doesn't mean what our English word hopes. You know, we, we were hoping we'd win a ball game and thank God we finally did. But the biblical word hope means this. It has to do with an assurance of a reality of a certain event that has not yet occurred. That's what it means. The blessed hope and glorious appear to our great God and Savior is an anticipated event that has not yet occurred. It's going to happen. You don't have to worry about that. And so salvation is not something in, the, in our English thought that means, well, maybe. He said, these things I've written you that you might know that you have eternal life. Now, occasionally you run across people who are atheists. They say, I don't believe in God at all. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe anything about that. There are some people, though, who, who don't approach it that way. They, they think they take a, maybe a higher intellectual look at it. And they try to be, you know, conciliatory or try to, try to get along or whatever. And they say, well, I'm what you'd call an agnostic. The word, the, the breakdown of the word means no knowledge, knowledge. It means maybe there's a God. I'm not sure if there's a God. There may be a God. But if there's a God, I'm an agnostic, which means I cannot know God for sure. And if you can't know God for sure, there's no way you could know you were saved for sure. But Paul writes to a group of people, or John writes to a group of people just like that. They were intellectual people. And uh, in one place when Paul went to preach, he, they, they had all these images of different gods. They even had an a, a image to the unknown God. They were trying to cover all their bases. They were trying to say that, you know, it, there may be one God we forgot somewhere. And so the agnostic says there may be a real God, but I don't think you can know him in a real personal way. I don't think you can know for sure. But Paul said, these things have I written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. And you can know it. You can know, you can know that you're saved. You can know that. But Paul said, that knowledge comes by what's written in this book. These things have, and it is not exclusive. It is inclusive. That means it's not just for a very few people. It means it's for all of mankind. He's right into a certain group of people and he said, these things I've written that you might know that you have eternal life. But the, the idea in the Greek text is so that all mankind might know. That you could know in Johnson County or, or anywhere you listen by way of internet or, or anywhere that you may hear this message later. You can know Jesus Christ and you can know that you're saved and you can know the God who fashioned this world. Intimately, personally, you can know him. You can know him. You can know his presence. You can know his power. You can know fellowship with him. You can know his leadership. You can know his provision. You can know him. You can know all about him. You can know him. Now, let me say this. He said, these things have I written that you might know. The word of God was given so you might know God. Now, you may be a naturalist or you may be one who uh, would, would say, I want to know God through creation. Well, Paul answers that. And he says, you can look. And David in the book of Psalms said, when I consider the stars, the moons, the, uh, the works of thy hand, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He said, I can see your hand in the stars. I can see your hand in creation. And I can see God in creation. I can see God in creation. I mean, who, who else could do that? 
I mean, who else could create worlds? Who else could create what appears to us now to be an endless expanse of stars and planets? And every time we develop a new telescope, we see more. And then when you look at our little planet in relation to all of those others, how insignificant we are. But what moved David was not the vastness of space, but it was the fact that the creator of that space would have something to do with man. And the reason for that is because we're his high creation. We we marvel at all of physical creation. But the crowning achievement of all of God's creation was when he made man in his own image. You're very special. God loved you. He fashioned you. And you can know him. And you can know about him from creation. But you cannot know him from creation. He said, these things have I written that you might know. This book is written that you can know Christ. It's the only book that you can know. There are no other books anywhere in any, any other uh, realm that you can know him personally. Or you can know about him. But to know him only comes from this book. And that tells me two or three things. It tells me, first of all, that you cannot know him simply through your intellect, intellectually. Let me show you something. Look over in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And listen to what Paul says in, to the church at Corinth in chapter number 2. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he said, verse 13, these things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to what he said. Paul said, the truth about Christ is spiritually understood, not intellectually. That doesn't mean that all Christians are dummies. Doesn't mean that all Christians are not intellectual. Doesn't mean that all Christians are not educated. Uh, Sometimes we feel that when we hear people talk. But there are great, great scientists who are, are experts in their field, whether it be in, in the surgical field or in biochemistry or, or any other thing that are great Christians and they, they do not swallow evolution. They believe the biblical account. But you don't ever hear about them on ABC News. They're out there. They're out there. But you do not, I don't care who you are, how smart you are, you cannot know Christ intellectually. That excludes everybody. He said, he said in this passage of Scripture, The natural man receives not the things of God. He cannot know them. You you cannot know it intellectually. You cannot know it by your mind. It's a spiritual thing. So it's not your mental capability. That allows me to get in. I'm glad of that. I'm real glad that God didn't make it based on your intellectual ability. I'm thankful for that. But not only does it not mean your intellectual ability, but it also has to do with your logical thought. 
that you cannot logically explain. People say to me, well, explain to me God. Prove to me there's a God. Don't have to. Not, I don't have to. Somebody said one time, somebody was arguing about that. I can't remember, maybe somebody in this pulpit said it. And uh, they talking about, uh, well, why don't you prove that to me? He said, I don't shoot bumblebees with a bazooka. <laughs> so you understand that? You think about that for a few minutes. You, you cannot understand him logically. Well, you say, well, I don't believe it then if I can't understand it logically. Oh, there are a lot of things you don't understand logically. A lot of things you cannot rationalize. A lot of things you can't figure out. A lot of things you personally accept by faith. By faith. How many of you have ever been to the movies? Raise your hand. I'm not going to condemn you for going to the movies. You walk into this theater, you go by and you buy $900 worth of popcorn and drink. And so you take your drink, your popcorn, you walk in there and you look at this theater and you walk down, you pick you out a row and you walk right in and you'll set your cup down and you'll flip this seat down and you flop down in it. What makes you think that's going to hold you up? Did you examine it? Did, did, you, did you look to see if every bolt was in place? Did, did, you, did you ever happen to think that they had geared that thing to hold people who weigh exactly 100 pounds, and if you weigh 150, you're going to hit the floor? Nope. You went in and you found your seat and you flopped down by faith. Never even thought about explaining, ever, never even thought about, is it rational? But by faith, you sat down. You cannot understand him logically. It is perfectly scientific. All of the Bible is scientific, uh, ha, scientifically accurate in every aspect of it. There's no true science that has ever disproved anything in this Bible. But true science is always validated by the Bible. It is only theory and hypothesis that may question the Bible, not fact. Every scientific fact that's ever been established is validated in the Word of God. But yet you still cannot understand him logically. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. It's foolishness. And so do not think you are intellectually superior if you don't believe the gospel. Don't think and don't, please don't feel sorry for us who have accepted Christ and who believe by faith the Bible and we believe in the great creator God and we believe he gave his son and we believe he forgave our sin and he gave us everlasting life and he took away all the, all the burden and he gave us joy and peace in, in this place of it and he's promised a place in heaven and re- really believe he's coming again and we really believe there's a place called heaven and he's given us joy unspeakable and peace that passeth all understanding. Please do not feel sorry for us. Because you simply have answered the biblical truth that to the natural man, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who are saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. You don't understand it logically. I can't prove one thing to you about the Bible. Not one thing. You accept it by faith or you don't accept it at all. But wait a minute. If you don't believe the Bible, 
And you are intellectually superior to the rest of the folk who do. And you do not accept Christ. And you die. If you're right, way to go. But if you're wrong for all eternity, you'll be in hell. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's why if I was intellectually honest, I'd want to know. I'd want to know, is it real? But the only way you can know it's real is not intellectually and not logically. It has to be by faith. You see, it's not through education It's through proclamation. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. Proclamation. It's not education, it's proclamation. Hearing the gospel. The Bible says, he that heareth and receiveth. When you hear the gospel, the gospel is the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you hear that, it comes through the preaching of the word of God, not in the not in words of men's wisdom, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. And God speaks that truth to your heart. There are people in here who are very intelligent. And they are, they are very analytical. But they're not saved because they have a good mind or because they have good rational powers. But because by faith one day, they heard somebody say that Jesus Christ died for their sins. He was buried, he rose again, and he died to save you. And God the Holy Ghost made that real to them. And by faith, they believe that and they're on their way to heaven. And thank God for that. Salvation is not education. Salvation doesn't come because you get educated. It's a proclamation. My dear friend, it is not indoctrination. There's some people that is in a, by the way, we, we have in our constitution, we use the King James Bible in our pulpit ministry and our teaching ministers in the church. There's a reason for that. We believe it's the word of God. We believe it's quick and powerful and sharp than a two-edged sword. And I do understand that people use different translations maybe. But I believe there's an all-out attack against this book. I do that. I, I really believe that. And I think it's significant to think that there are a lot of people who want to get rid of it. Why would they want to get rid of it? Man, it's been around. It's good enough for Grandma. Ms. Ennis, when she was born, she had, she had grandparents who had read the same Bible you're reading now. Did you know that? They, I mean, and, it, and throughout all the history of America, this Bible has been significant to all the frontiersmen and all the settlers of this nation. And they've sat by log fires and campfires and they've read the same book that you have in your hand to read. And God founded this nation, I believe, on the principles of this book. And God saved people. And I, I just, hey, I just stay with it. I really don't have a problem with it. Oh, you say, well, it's got, you know, got these and thou's in it. Well, you know, thee means you and thou means thou. And so I, I can live with that. I don't have a problem with that. But the Bible has the truth in it. The Bible has the word of God in it. And, and it's not by indoctrination. You cannot take the King James Bible. Listen to me now. You cannot take the King James Bible and go through it and teach it and teach it and teach it to where people will accept all the doctrinal truths in that book as a catechism. A lot of rules, a lot, lot of teaching. 
if they, if they intellectually accept all the teaching of the King James Bible, if they intellectually accept all the teaching of the King James Bible and they know how to answer every question, they know what it means to be premillennial, they know what, know what it has to, what the tribulation is, if they understand about the Antichrist, if they understand something about the dispensations, and if they can, if they can articulate or if they can explain every, every Bible doctrine that we hold true, even from a King James Bible, and if they can quote it all, they may still die and go to hell. Because it is not indoctrination, it is a revelation. He said to Simon Peter, Simon, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some say that you're Elias or one of the other prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my father, which is in heaven. You see, I read the Bible. I studied the Bible. Many of you read the Bible, studied the Bible, heard it preached a thousand times. But at some point in time, what you had heard with your audibly with your ears, what you had received intellectually with your mind, at some point in time, the daylight broke through, the revelation came, you saw yourself lost, you saw him as a savior and you received him as savior and Lord. That was revelation and not indoctrination. God showed you that. Hallelujah for that. Thank God for that. It is not indoctrination, it's revelation. It, it, it is not, it is not rationalization. It is declaration. Paul said, I declare unto you, first of all, that which I've also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ dying for us. It's Christ saving us. He said, these things have I written unto you that you might know that you're saved, that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. I'm not going to ask you this morning if you're a Baptist. I'm not going to ask you this morning if you believe the Bible from cover to cover. I'm not going to ask you if you know the Bible. One question. He that hath the Son hath life. Do you have him? Well, you say, well, I don't know. I don't know. But the Bible says in the very beginning of this passage that I read you, verse 10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. It's kind of like this. Dr. Brother Tom Gillum, when he was here one time preaching, was, said they, this, little, this teacher was teaching this Sunday school class of all of these little boys and girls. And she got to talk about how big the Lord was and how great God was and how awesome he was and how he fills the whole universe. And he said, when he began to talk about that, he, they, the teacher finally got around to ask the little boys and girls, wouldn't you like to have Jesus to come into your heart? And this one little boy spoke up and said, teacher, I sure would. But a great big God like you're talking about, if he came in my heart, he'd hang out somewhere. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that when a great big God like that does come in your heart, he does hang out somewhere. You couldn't have a great big God like that living inside of you 
and not know it? Not know it? How could you have the God of this universe, the power of the Holy Spirit, living inside of you and not know it? Now, there's a whole different message I want to preach to you about assurance and the way Satan wars against our mind. But you have the witness in yourself. I'm going to share this with you. I'm through. You may be in a service somewhere where some evangelist or pastor or this, the emotion of the hour. There may be something that rises in you that causes you to wonder or to doubt. But God broke this little truth on my heart. When I've looked at other people, their zeal, their dedication, their surrender to Christ. I wonder sometimes, really, have I got what they got? I mean, do I, is that, do I have the same type of salvation that they have? You know, there's all kind of questions might come. But one day while I was reading the word of God, this little truth and this passage of scripture spoke to my heart. This is what it says. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. Don't you let any man give you assurance or cause you to question your salvation. But anybody saved can take this Bible. And as you read this Bible, these things have a written that you might know. And it dawned on me that in all the experiences I'd had as a Christian, as a young Christian, as I began to grow and even since I've been pastoring, when I had battles like that, that they never came from the Word of God. It was always some type of emotional setting that it occurred in. But as I was alone reading the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit of God ministered in my heart, not one time have I ever had anything except for the reality that I was His child and He was my Father, and the Holy Ghost of God ministered to my heart through this book. How can I know that I'm saved? He said, these things have I written that you might know that you're saved. But quite practically, let me say this. Is there any question in your mind that Benjamin, that I held in my hands a while ago, is there anybody in here with any thought that he may not be alive? None. You see it. You, you can see it in him. He has life in him, has life in him. And I asked old brother Avery Rogers one time, I said, brother Avery, if you had to talk to somebody and tell somebody how they know that they're saved, how would you know that? Now listen, what I'm telling you, I've heard people say, you need to know the day and the hour. Some of you do know the day, the hour, the circumstance when you got saved. Some of you may not remember that. My mama said I was born October the 5th, 1946. Can I tell you, I have a memory like a steel trap. It's rusted and locked up. <laughs> I do not remember the day I was born. Anybody in here remember the day that you were physically born? Some of you got great memories. You can remember back when you were little bitty babies. Some of you can remember back maybe when you were a bottle baby. But some of you don't. And, and so consequently, I would not base my salvation on an experience in the past. Because you might have made an emotional decision 
but not have the real goods. So consequently, Brother Avery Rogers said this. Well, how do you know if you're alive or not? It's not a matter of what you did in the past. It's not a matter of whether you joined a church or had experience or got baptized. It's not a, uh, uh, even how long you've been going to church or how many times you've read your Bible. I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about, I forget what the date is, but this date, this Sunday on 2010. Is it the 26th? I'm talking about right now at uh, quarter after 12. That's, that's a new experience for some of you, if you're visitors. At a quarter after 12 on Sunday morning, I'm not talking about yesterday. I'm talking about right now. Are you alive spiritually? And you can know if you're alive spiritually just as sure as you can know you're alive physically. How's that? Number one, you respond. Dead people don't respond. You can poke them, proud them, anything. They don't have any response. But if you're saved... You respond to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit of God. There's a spiritualness about you that the word of God is real to you and the Holy Ghost of God is real to you. You respond spiritually. You know that you're alive because you grow and develop. Benjamin, six months, boy, he's, he's changing every day, growing every day. He has a hunger. He was born hungry and he stayed that way. And when you get born again, there is an appetite in you for the things of God. But some people go to church, they don't have any appetite for the Bible or things of God or anything like that. I question, and, and they ought to question, do they have any life in them? Do you have life in you? Do you have that life? Do you have, do you have in you this morning a response to spiritual things? Do you, my dear friend, have an appetite and do you hunger and do you grow spiritually? If you do, you have life in you. You have the Son of God inside of you. One last thing, and I'm through it, and there are many I could share, birthmarks of a Christian. For instance, he said in John, he said, if you're saved, you love the brethren. If you're saved, you keep my commandments. But here's a good one right here. The book of Hebrews said this, that if your son or daughter, if you're a child of the king, if you're his child, he chastens you. You know what that means? It means he disciplines you. Now, I don't, I don't guess there's been much discipline to be done in Benjamin this far. But if he's anything like his daddy, there'll be times down the road that Marty and Megan will discipline him. Ever how they choose to do that? Because they don't love him? No. Because they don't want him to have fun? No. Because they want him to be safe. They want him to go up well. They wanted to grow up and be healthy. And so consequently, things that will hurt him and things that if his disobedience would endanger him, they will chasten him. And if you're a child of the king, you say, I've been born again by the grace of God. And you do things contrary to this Bible. He disciplines you. He chastens you. And if you don't have any chastening, then you've not been born again by the grace of God. Will you bow your heads in prayer? I have tried this morning intentionally as I have since I started this series to be just as direct and just as clear as I possibly can. These things have I written to you that you might know that you have eternal life.
you can know that. This is not a Baptist Bible. That's the Word of God. I am a Baptist and I read it to you as a Baptist pastor, but I read to you the Word of God. These things I've written that you might know that you have eternal life. You can know it. Through the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit of God revealing in your heart what He came to do. The Bible says the Spirit of God came to rebuke or to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He came to show us our need of a Savior. And having seen that need, then He makes Christ known to us as our only hope and our only Savior. And then by faith we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith is not ours, it's a gift of God. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. But when we receive Him, the Spirit of God comes in our heart crying, Abba, Father. And He never leaves us. Our Heavenly Father. God, if what I've said is true, I pray God the Holy Spirit of God will make it real to every heart in this building, in the radio audience, and in the internet audience. I pray, Lord Jesus, that God, that you drive it deep into the hearts of those who do not know you. And Lord, I pray, God, if I've said anything that's contrary to this Bible, please, God, remove it from the consciousness. Don't let Satan use it in any way. God, remove anything I've said that was not real. But God, I pray the real, the truth, God, that you apply it and deal with hearts. And I pray it to be seed sown. And God, that you'll give the increase. I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that God, the Holy Spirit, will speak to every man, woman, boy, and girl. And God, if they do not have the witness of Christ in themselves, that this morning by faith they'd call out to you and receive you as Savior and Lord right now. While we have our heads bowed, eyes are closed. I want to challenge you right now, right where you are, to call on the name of the Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, believe on him. Trust him right now. Call on him right now. I want to invite you in a moment to come forward if you want to trust Christ. If you've trusted Christ. If you just like, 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 like to like let the saints of God here know that you've been saved. The Bible said, if you believe in your heart and confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, I believe that confession is important. I believe it's important to let other people know that you've been saved. I want to invite you to do that. Heavenly Father, I pray God the Holy Spirit right now speak to hearts. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Would you stand please with your heads bowed for just a moment? Brother Brad, will you sing a verse of a song? I'll not keep you long this morning. I'm going to leave you with the gospel, leave you with the word of God. But I ask and plead with you, be you reconciled to God. And right now, will you receive him? If there's a question mark, if you do not know, you don't have the witness in your heart, would you come right now? Not because of emotionalism, but because of the truth of the word of God. He that hath the Son hath life.